Two weeks ago, we began to dig into the accounts at the day of Pentecost and the ushering in of the last days that we are still living in. And the last week, we began to unpack what, what did Peter mean when he talked about this, this widespread availability of the gift of prophecy that be available to all who have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we took a, a look at what does it mean to to pursue that, to pursue the gift of prophecy eagerly, to eagerly desire God and His presence, to eagerly desire to be a means of God's grace, to encourage, to exhort, to build each other up. And as a church, we provide different ways that we want to begin to eagerly pursue that. And so I encourage you, in response to last week's message, if you've not yet prayed and asked God to, to give you more of Himself, to ask God to send you the Spirit in increasing measure and to ask God to use you perhaps to share timely words of encouragement for the edification of the body and some of the ways that we can do that is in our small groups there's context to both pray for one another and and seek God and just share what God's put on your heart share a scripture a word of encouragement it doesn't have to be oh my goodness is this is this a prophetic word or not now is there an encouragement you have that you can bring to the body see it's, it's for the edification the upbuilding of the body it's a means of God's grace where God's presence comes to specifically meet us, to encourage us, to edify us, to exhort us and build us up. And then if you're wondering, if, you, if you're new to the church here, we have this microphone we stick at the front here. We call it a ministry mic. And, and that's just to provide a context for, for people in the church. If you have something you believe, a scripture, maybe God's laid in your heart, a word of encouragement to come to the front. There will always be either Aaron or I, one of the elders in the church, to, to help to discern, is this for the Lord? Is this for today? And so that responsibility really is for Aaron and I, so they can free you up to be able to come forward. And we want to encourage you to pursue that, not because we're, we're really interested in, in manifestations, but we're, we're, what we want is we want more of God. We want to seek God's presence to bless us, to encourage, to edify and exhort the body. Well, this week, we're going to go back into Peter's sermon and see how the gospel makes great demands, but really results in the greatest benefits. How the gospel makes great demands of us, but it gives the greatest hope. And so if you will, please, let's turn to Acts 2, verses 37 through 41. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the greatest news ever. God, thank you that on that day when you declared your gospel message through Peter, you added thousands to your church. You gave great hope to many. 
And God, thank you that ever since then, you have been at work adding numbers to your church. You have been at work, Lord, giving and imparting hope. Father, I pray that we would see the great hope that we have in the good news today. That we see the hope that we have of forgiveness, the hope that we have of the Holy Spirit. And the hope that we have that we, are, we can be added to your people. Lord, I pray that you would enable me to preach and you would enable all of us to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, I don't assume that everyone here is a believer in Jesus Christ. You may be on the outskirts. You may be curious. You may be open but cautious. You may be a skeptic. Or you may be sitting here as a believer in Jesus Christ. And whether or not you are a believer, there's one thing that we all have in common. There's one thing that I would say that everyone in this room has in common, and that's that we all want hope. We, we all want hope. We all need hope. The question, though, the difference is where do we search for hope? Where are we searching for hope? Where are you searching for hope today? Do we search for hope in self-actualization? Do we search for hope in self-effort? Do we search for hope in achievement or grades? For those of you who finished up school, you're hoping for better grades. Maybe you've been bummed out because you didn't get them or Maybe you're really excited because you did get good grades. Where are we putting our hope? Are we looking for hope in a scholarship or a title? Maybe we search for hope in family or friends or close relationships or circumstances or our parenting. Maybe a good way to find out where our hope is is to ask yourself, is, is my mood, is my happiness, is my contentment, is Is my perspective on life regularly affected by if-onlys? If only I had something. If only I was good enough. If only I got that something. If only I achieved notoriety. If only people recognized me. If only I felt accepted and loved. If only my kids loved God. If only I was a better parent. If only my parents would let me. Whatever you might be thinking this morning. If only circumstances were different. We're all prone, if we're honest with ourselves. We're all prone to letting our hope subtly shift to other things. That's why it's good that Scripture, it regularly brings us back to the place of our hope. When Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing this passage, why did he include this passage at the very outset of Acts? He wanted, and the Holy Spirit wanted, and God wants his people to know where our hope lies. What's the foundation for all the Christian life? You see, in the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to quickly turn to the mission of God's people. But before we turn to the mission of God's people, it's, it's important that we focus on the message of God's people, the message of hope that we've received. Scripture constantly brings us back to the source of our hope, of our hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we never want to go far from our hope Someone once said that we, we want to preach the good news, the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves, where is our hope? Where is our confidence? So Peter is delivering to the hearers on the day of Pentecost this good news, and it changed everything for them. 
And if we hear the good news again ourselves and apply it to our lives, it changes everything for us as well. And if you're not yet a Christian, let me encourage you, it will change everything. The gospel, it will demand everything, but it will change everything and give you an uh, everlasting, undying hope. You know, the good news of Jesus Christ is not like anything else in life. In life, if you make a lot of effort, if you make sacrifices, if you work hard, it pays off. If you work hard, it generally results in some kind of reward for your work. If we exercise diligently, it will result in good physical shape generally, unless you're past the age of 40, and then you feel like no matter how much you exercise, it just never works. I'm in that category, by the way. So, but the thing we can't earn the, one, the thing we can't earn, no matter how hard we work for it, is God's favor. We can't earn grace. We can't earn forgiveness. It's not like other things. We can't work hard to get God to like us. Even though I think we're all tempted to do that. The gospel, it makes great demands of us. But it doesn't make demands that have anything to do with earning. And the main, the main truth that I believe God would, would have us see from this passage today is that God's call, it's truly demanding. God's call is truly demanding. When Peter preached, he preached a demanding call. God's call is truly demanding, but responding to him, it results in hope. Peter didn't just preach true demands of the gospel. He preached the hope of the good news. And God's call, it's truly demanding, but responding to him results in hope. Peter has just finished explaining to the people where we're at in the book of Acts. He's just finished explaining to the people who came running. They hear what was all this commotion about in the day of Pentecost. 120 people had been gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes in a dramatic way. And a sound like a rushing wind and tongues of fire. They rested on everybody. They began to speak in different languages. And they were all declaring prophetically the mighty works of God. And then thousands of people came rushing to hear. And so Peter preaches a sermon. He tells them who Jesus is. One of the most important questions that we can answer as well is who is Jesus? And so Peter, he answers the question of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the chosen one that was foretold by the great King David. And he tells all these good Jews that. And then he tells them, and you are responsible for crucifying your Messiah. You were responsible for crucifying the chosen one that God sent. Your only means of hope, you crucified. That's not an easy believism kind of message. And then Peter tells them that Jesus was not only crucified, though. He was resurrected. He was raised up, and he's at the right hand of God. And then he testifies that it's Christ himself who's, who's pouring out the Spirit of God that they were witnessing. And then he ends Acts 2.36... He says, let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And we're going to see really four aspects now in today's passage of this gospel call that Peter is giving We're going to see two demands and two results in this portion of Peter's sermon. And the first demand of the gospel call that we're going to see is that the the gospel call, God's call, it convicts. God's call convicts. What's the immediate response when, when Peter is declaring the message of the gospel? It's conviction. 
The crowds who had gathered, they would have gotten the message. I remember when I was a child and I would be in my room on, on Saturdays and my room was often a, a, an absolute wreck by Saturday morning. And so my mom would give me a condition. She said, you're not going outside until you finish cleaning your room up. And, and I'd go in my room and I'd, I'd shut the door. And it wasn't because I wanted to make room for cleaning. It was because I wanted to play. And, and then I would hear, I don't know, an hour later or so, my mom would call, Matthew, what are you doing? Oh, my goodness. And it would respond immediately. I, I, I knew I'd been caught. I knew that she knew that I was fooling around. That I, that I, I, and, I, and I got the message. And then a little later on, she'd open the door up, and I, and I understood that, that I wasn't pulling anything over on her. It was clear. I, I had not obeyed her commands. I, I got the message. I was brought conviction. This, this crowd's they would have gotten the message from, from God. They would have gotten that God was calling them to repent. They would have understood that they had not recognized Jesus for who He is. They would not have recognized He's the Messiah, the Chosen One. Not only were they guilty of not seeing who Jesus is and not recognizing the Messiah that was sent to them with miraculous signs and wonders and was attested by prophecy. They didn't just not see him, they killed him. And as first century Jews, they would have known what that meant. They'd rejected the very means of salvation. They rejected the Christ, the one who'd chosen by God for the redemption. And, and in so doing, they had, they had rejected God. And they would have known that in rejecting God and the Messiah that he sent, they would be rejected. There could be no hope for them apart from the one whom God had chosen. They were doomed. They were destined to bear God's wrath. And they got the message. They knew their history. They knew that every time God's people rejected God's messenger, it always resulted in, in rightly deserved judgment being poured out and, and being separated from God's presence. And once Peter showed them that Jesus is the Christ in the Old Testament, they knew that they were doomed God wasn't pleased from them, with them, and he would not be pleased with them. And so they were cut to the heart, the passage says. They were cut to the heart as the Spirit of God made truths plain and personal to them. And, and what was their response? They cried out with conviction, brothers, what shall we do? You see, God's call always produces conviction. It's the same verb that's translated as cut the heart used elsewhere in the Bible. It expresses really a range of emotion from, from, from anger uh, over what, what we've done, over being humbled and being silenced, to be struck by something, to have sorrow. They were cut. They were pierced to the heart. They were sincerely struck to the core of who they were, their identity, the seat of their emotions and desire. They knew they needed something. They knew they needed something outside of themselves to save them because they were desperate and hopeless. And I trust that if you are in the room here today and you have placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, I trust you have at some point experienced that. That sense of desperate hopelessness on your own. And if you've not experienced that and you call yourself a Christian, I want to encourage you to respond to God's call and see that there's no hope on your own. There's no hope apart from God, that all of us are guilty of rejecting God, that we've all sinned against God and offended Him and disobeyed Him, and we all 
We all, at some point, must cry out in anguish, what shall we do? Now, hopefully, most of the room would understand we've disobeyed God and we've rejected God. Hopefully, we understand that we rightly deserved the wrath of God, that something must be done to rescue us from God's wrath, and that hopefully we've been cut to the heart by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. About 3,000 people listening on that day of Pentecost, they got the message. They understood what Peter said, and they understood the implications of the message. They knew that something had to be done because their plight was so desperate, but they didn't know what could be done. And maybe this morning you're here thinking, I I don't know how to be saved. What can I do? Peter needed to tell them. There's some lessons for us to learn from this interaction. You see that if you are a believer, a lot of the people that we encounter on a daily basis, they have no idea how they've offended God. Unlike the Jews that Peter would have encountered on that day, they don't have this history of education about God and his promises and, and how mankind owes everything to the Creator and yet has offended the Creator and sinned against him. And it's our responsibility to, like Peter, explain the message of the gospel to explain who Jesus is and to explain that he calls us to repent. And it's our responsibility to tell the truth to the people around us. And we can trust that it's not the power of our words, just like on that day when Peter spoke. It wasn't the power of his elocution that it it brought people and responded to people and made them convicted. It was the Holy Spirit making his words effective. And for us, as we speak, we can trust that as we share the good news, the message about who Jesus is, and that we're all called to give an account, that God will pierce our hearers to the heart because His Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It pierces to the core of who we are. And so Peter explains how they sinned against God, even to this crowd They had religious categories. They had religious understanding, but they were mired in legalism and they didn't understand the truth. Maybe you're here today and you were raised in the church and you've basically been good and you've never done anything really overtly wrong on the outside. But it might be that you've never experienced the conviction of God's call. It might be that you never truly responded I want to encourage you that just like these good Jews with religious categories and understanding, they needed to see that they were mired in their legalistic understanding. We, we need to see that as well. And for us living in the cultural Christianity of the South, we live in an area that is over-churched, but really under-affected by the good news. Has religious categories of understanding, but not actually seeing the truth for ourselves, and it's our privilege to show from God's word, to rely on the power of the Spirit, what this good news is that we have. We have to answer the question that they asked Peter. They all asked, what shall we do? What shall we do? And that's what we need to answer as well for the people that we encounter. But the answer that Peter gives was not for them to earn the way back to God or to just stop doing these external things. It wasn't for them to justify themselves. It wasn't if you do these things, you act this way, you dress this way, you talk this way, that's what makes you a Christian. He doesn't say that. He gives them an answer. And the answer is not for them to keep the law or keep up appearances on the outside. 
Look down at verse 38 with me, if you will. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that a second aspect of the gospel call that we're going to look at this morning is that God calls for our response. And we are called to call others to respond to the good news. You see, the good news of the gospel is the greatest truth ever, but we can't just sit back. We must respond to the good news. And the first response the gospel demands is to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. Peter says repent. This isn't just a sense of regret. They already had that. They already had a sense of feeling bad for their sins. Feeling bad enough won't get you saved. Feeling bad enough doesn't mean you are a Christian. Because you feel guilty about what you've done does not mean you've responded to God. What's required is repentance. And so Peter calls them not just to be sorry for their sins, but to acknowledge their sins and turn from them. That's what repentance means. It's a turning away from trusting in ourselves, a turning away from the way that we have thought and felt and acted apart from God, and to turn to Jesus. It's, it's turning away from finding answers in the world in our own ways, and it's turning to admitting that, God, you are our only hope. Jesus, you are the one that I need. It's turning from our own ways and understanding and turning to God. Repentance is, is, is not just a slight course correction. It's a commitment to completely turn the other direction. And that's the call for all of us. And, and after you become a Christian, the gospel call doesn't stop. The call for repentance doesn't stop. Now we receive God's forgiveness fully and completely, but it's a lifestyle of repentance that we continue on. And if we are a believer, if you are a Christian this morning, then you will be bearing the fruits of repentance continually. If you're not bearing the fruits of repentance continually, then turn to Him. Turn to Him. This kind of repentance requires believing and trusting the truth of who Jesus is, and it requires trusting that, that not only is Jesus our very hope for the forgiveness of sins, not only did He die for our sins, our lives depend on the truth. And then staking our lives on that is what repentance looks like. And so the name of Jesus means, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. It means to come and appeal to God, not in our name, not in our own merit, but it means to appeal to God in the name of Christ. And so the gospel calls us to demonstrate our repentance and faith in Jesus. And then here, Peter calls them also to demonstrate their faith and repentance by being baptized. He, he's calling them not to to become a believer by being baptized. What he's saying is, place your faith in Christ, repent. He's effectively saying, repent. And then a sign of that repentance is going to be an outward demonstration of your faith that's seen in baptism. And how do I get that? Where do we get that from? Well, the first way we know baptism is not a prerequisite for forgiveness is because earlier in the same sermon, in here in chapter 2, Peter, he quotes the, the prophet Joel, and he affirms that he says, whoever what does he say? Calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He didn't say whoever does things will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not whoever calls upon the name of the Lord and then is baptized. So we know that in the context, Peter is not saying that baptism leads to salvation, but it is an outward sign of 
our faith and repentance. And then we can also see later on in Acts, Peter preaches another sermon in Acts 10, and he says in Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his names. How does forgiveness of sins come? It comes through belief in his name. And then in Acts 13, 39, Paul is preaching, and he says, through this man, speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, Everyone who what? Everyone who believes is freed from not most things, then you can have to add to your faith. No, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then we see later on in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they are in prison and an earthquake hits and they're released from prison and the jailer is afraid and they, they come and they speak to him and he says, what should I do? And their answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then in Acts 20, 21, Paul sums up his whole message to the people in Ephesus and he testifies, he says, both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards faith, towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that's his whole message it's repentance and faith. And so it's plain that, that baptism is not, is not the means that we receive forgiveness, but it is an outward sign of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. And, and maybe you're here and you've not been baptized as a believer. I want to encourage you, if you haven't, to respond and outwardly profess your faith, outwardly confess who Jesus is, not to earn any merit, but because it's a sign of what's going on inside that you have committed to live a life of repentance. And so Peter says, repent and be baptized, but then he, then he has a little phrase there. He says, not just repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. He says, for the forgiveness of sins. Did you catch that? You see, God's call in the gospel, it makes great demands. But it gives the greatest hope. It results in true hope. You see, the demand of repentance and faith, the demand of giving everything up for Christ the demand to live for God, not for ourselves, it's not without reward. In fact, the greatest hope that mankind could ever want or need is provided through the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel makes great demands, but the great result of responding to the gospel is true hope. And so the third aspect of this call of God, this gospel call that we see from Peter's sermon is that responding to God's call, it results in hope. It results in hope. If you have responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, if you have repented, however imperfectly you're desiring to repent, you're desiring to turn from yourself and turn to him. And, and let me just make a note for a moment that all of us as Christians, we continue to fail. We continue to daily experience those ways that, that we have not met up to God's standards. And yet, our confidence is not in that. Our confidence is not in our faith or even our ability to, to continue to live the way we need to. Our confidence is that he promises that he's forgiven all of our sins. Even the ones we haven't done yet, even the ones that you're going to do today on the way home. It's remarkable. Thinking, think about the fact of who Peter is speaking to. He is speaking to Jews who he says have just done what? They have crucified Jesus. And yet, for all who repent and place their faith in Jesus, God stands ready to forgive 
our sins, even the sins of crucifying his own son. You may be aware of sin in your life this morning as a Christian. This should give you confidence. This is meant to give you hope. This is meant to give you assurance. There is nothing. If God has forgiven all who have crucified his son, surely there is no sin that God will not also freely forgive for all who repent and believe. There's no sin that's greater than killing Jesus. And yet God stands ready, stood ready to forgive in that day, and he stands continually ready to forgive. And God has already forgiven all of our sins for all who placed your faith and repented in him. And then Peter gives another sweet promise. He gives another sweet hope in addition to knowing every day when we wake up that no matter what we've done, no matter how we've fallen short, no matter how we failed, we've been forgiven. And, and that's, that's how we can preach the good news to ourselves, by the way, is reminding ourselves that our confidence doesn't lie in ourselves. It, remi- it, it lies in, in all that he has done in his forgiveness of our sins. And then Peter gives another sweet promise. In addition to being forgiven... They don't just have the hope of forgiveness. They have the hope of God's very own presence. They have the hope of the Holy Spirit. Think about what that means. He's telling them they will receive the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. They'll receive the amazing privilege of God's indwelling, continual indwelling Spirit to be with them always, to lead them, to guide them, to empower them, and to live with them. The hope they received on that day of Pentecost, it's it's the hope of forgiveness and the hope of God's presence with them. This is good news indeed. This is is news that we need to remind ourselves of every day as well. It's not just the removal of judgment against us. That's wonderful enough. It's the active reconciliation with God, not only to allow us to come before His presence, but God has given us reconciliation with him that has granted us his continual presence. When Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, he is with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Christian, we have the greatest hope. No longer must sacrifice be made. No longer is God at a distance from man. No longer is God only partially accessible to a few chosen people and that only once a year if they do the sacrifices just right. No longer are we kicked out of God's presence like what happened to Adam in the garden when all of mankind was removed from the presence of God. No longer... Are we doomed to walk separately from God? Here's what the coming of the Holy Spirit means. It means that now God has come to walk with man again. Isn't that just a beautiful picture in the garden? God walked with Adam in the garden and he knew him personally. In the good news that Peter is preaching, we have God walking with us. He's not distant, he's not separate. He invites us to walk with him, and he walks with us. It's the reversal of the fall of man is what Peter is talking about. That's why there's hope in the gospel. And and I'd encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your hope in him, 
I want to encourage you to be aware that God is ever with you. That he is always present. He is always walking with you. When you feel alone, when you feel like circumstances are too much, remember who is with you. His Holy Spirit is with you. What a promise of hope this is. God walks with mankind again through His Spirit. And then in in verse 39, He explains who this promise is available to. And look down in your Bibles. In verse 39 it says, For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Here's good news for you and I as well. The promise that Peter preached to the Jews at Pentecost, it wasn't just limited to them. It wasn't just limited to Jews and their descendants. He says it's for all who are far off. Maybe you are feeling like you are far off from God. This promise of forgiveness, this promise of the Holy Spirit in God's active presence in your life, it is for us. For all of us who once were far off. You see, sin had separated mankind from God and all of mankind is far off from God. But now this promise, it's, it's available for everyone who's far off. Think about that for a moment. Those who are far off, it's, it's a euphemism for those who have no hope of drawing near to God. Not only those who are not in the kingdom of God, but those who are far off from the kingdom of God, far off from God's people, far off from the promises who were destined to be outside on the final day. The Bible tells us that those who are far off, if they remain there, will be doomed to anguish and and weeping and gnashing of teeth when they are separated from God. We all once belonged to those who are far off. But the Bible tells us that We were dead in our sins. We were strangers to the promise of God. We were alienated from God. We were darkened in the futility of seeking our own ways. We were hating God and being hated by God. We were walking in darkness and blind. Everyone here was far off and some here still are. We're without God and without hope in the world and yet now we have the greatest hope. The gospel demands much. It demands that we we die to ourselves that we, we turn to live for Christ. It, it demands that we repent, but it gives the greatest hope. There's great assurance in this passage. We can be sure if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are not far off, no matter how you feel. If, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and, and you are tempted to feel like God doesn't care, He is distant from you, you need to recognize that that's a temptation from our enemy trying to tell us that we don't belong, that that God is really far from us. And yet, you need to hear this word that this promise is for all those who once were far off, that he will no longer be far off. He'll not only forgive us, he gives us his very presence. If you feel unwanted, see that the Lord our God has called you to himself. Look in verse 39. There's some rich assurance here. He says that these promises are, listen to it, it says, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. For everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see what Peter's saying? He's saying that God, if you have repented and believed, God has called you to himself. He's giving assurance that if if you've responded, if you have placed your faith, if you've repented and believed, 
that you can be sure that this promise is for you. Why? Because God has called you to himself. God was the one who called us, and, and he's the reason why we're able to call upon his name, because he has called us to himself. There's great assurance here. You know, we're often aware of our faith and our calling on him and our repentance, but this passage is saying that if, if you have repented, God has called you to himself. God calls us to himself. He wanted us, he chose us, and he called us to himself, not because of merit, but because he has set his affections on us. He has loved us. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you're playing church here this morning, you're, you're thinking that being a good moral person is enough, please hear this. God wants you to repent and to believe, and then he wants you to have hope. He wants you to have hope that you can receive forgiveness and that you can be near to God, that you can receive his spirit. You don't have to be unsure any longer. Look in verse 40. It says, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter's call on that day was to save yourselves from this crooked generation. There was hope for them in their crooked generation. And I think these words apply for us today. We live in a very perverse, very crooked generation, a very morally bankrupt generation, just like in that day. And the only way for us to save ourselves from the crooked, morally, ethically crooked generation that we live in is to cry out to the God of all of history, is to, is to turn, is to repent, and to receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only way, ironically, when Peter's telling them to save yourselves, it's to turn to Jesus. And then he promises to rescue us, to make us brand new, to wash us clean, to remove all judgment, and to give us himself. Now look in verse 41. The goal and the result of the move of the Spirit at Pentecost and from Peter's preaching was that the people received his word and were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. The fourth aspect of the gospel that we're just going to really briefly look at as we close is that responding to God's call, it results in being added. They were added to the disciples. They were added to their number that day. They didn't just become Christians and then go their own ways. No, they were added to a group. They were added to the body. They were added to, at that time, that local church in Jerusalem. I still remember being in middle school gym class and the teacher would always do, I couldn't stand it, but they would always separate us out and they would, they would pick two team captains and they would, they would tell the team captains, okay, pick the, pick the various people for your teams. And so you just wanted to be picked. You wanted to be called. And then when you got called, you were excited because it meant that you were part of that team. You were joined to the team and, and then you played for that team and you cheered for the team. You, you were excited, and when God calls you to repent and believe, he doesn't just call, him to, call you to himself. He calls you to be added to his team. He calls you to be added to his purposes, to what he is doing. He calls you to be added to his people, his chosen people. The hope that we have is our, our sins have been forgiven. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we've been added to God's people where we, we once had 
may not have had family. We now have family as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They became a part of a local body of believers that day. The Christian faith, it was not a solitary faith from the very beginning. They were added to their number. It's meant to be lived with other believers. We're meant to be added to a church body and take an active part in the body. And we have hope in that we're no longer alone, not only because we have God's presence with us, but God has given us others in the body. We're going to see next week in, in, in verses 42 to 47, what did it look like for them to live out local church life? What is a model of the local church? What does it look like for them once they have repented and believed, responded to God, once they've been given the Holy Spirit and made alive, once they've been added to the church? What does it look like to live as the church? And we're going to see that next week. But today, I want us to see the gospel demands a response, and we need to be calling people to respond. We need to share our stories. We need to get to know people. We need to, but we need to preach the good news of who Jesus is. We need to call people to respond. It's not a call to comfortable living. It's a call to repent, to believe in Christ, to demonstrate our repentance and faith outwardly. But here's the other thing we need to, to hear today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the greatest hope. That's our motivation. Why in the world do we, we talk about Jesus? Why in the whole month of March do we take time aside to talk about our mission as a church to be disciples who are making disciples? Why in the world do we talk about this? Why do we emphasize this? Because we have been given the greatest hope that there is. We've been given forgiveness completely. No longer is God angry. No longer will his wrath burn against us. We've been given his forgiveness. And then we've been given God himself. Why would we not want to carry that to other people? And then, Christian, for you, as we close, I want us to close here. Do you realize each day that God is pleased with you because of Jesus Christ? That he's forgiven you completely? That he doesn't hold your sins against you any longer? That's real hope. When you mess up, when you yell at your, your wife or your kids or you yell at your parents or parents when you yell at your kids or whatever way you find yourself disobeying God's moral law, you can be sure that he has, if you have placed your faith in him, he has called you to himself. He's forgiven you. And then the other hope that we have is the very hope of God's spirit with us forever. Will never leave us, never forsake us. His presence is always with us. And then on top of all that, he adds us to his people. So today, let's, let's be motivated by this good news. What was the early church founded on? It was founded on the gospel call, on God's call that resulted in hope. Let's stand today, if you will, and if the band could go ahead and come come up, I want to sing a song in response. You see, he is our only hope. He is our great salvation. Maybe you've, you've been feeling hopeless. I want to encourage you to, to remember again where your faith lies. Not in your own merit, but it lies in who Jesus is. That he's given us hope and forgiveness, hope in the Spirit, and hope in being added to his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would impart the truth of your word to our hearts in such a way that it makes us alive, that we would not be cold 
to these truths, Lord. And if, we've, if we're sitting here, if we were listening today and we were unaffected by the hope of the gospel, our hope and forgiveness, God, I pray that you would stir us, that you would not allow us to be unaffected, God. I pray that we would see that we have hope in you, God, and that you would give us new excitement for who you are and that we have your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.